Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode. A Dune episode. It's time for another installment in our Deep Cut. Dune edition. (laughs) So before we get started, because I can tell we're just going to get started. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. And welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. We're going to talk about Dune Messiah, which is the second book in the first three books of a six-book series. <laughs> um, I, I The put, controversial sequel to Dune. I don't understand why it's controversial. Um, we'll, we'll get into that. So the first, the canonical six, I actually saw an infographic the other day, which I almost shared, and it was like, how do you want to read Dune? Do you want to be a casual? Just read Dune. Do you want to know the story as intended by Frank Herbert? Read the first six. You want to know everything there is to know about this world? Here's the ones to read, all all of them. And that's kind of how I feel about it is Frank Herbert writes five books. Brian Herbert finishes the series because his dad dies before he can. And then Brian Herbert has spent the rest of his writing career fleshing out the world that his dad created. This is the second book of the three that we're probably going to cover, although we may cover more. But I was thinking about it because I was watching another like video of someone else who's doing Dune. And they were talking about Dune as problematic. They were like, oh, you know, if you read Dune, it's like saying, I don't mind problematic sci-fi. And I was like, problematic? Mm. Mm." And then they went on to say, And if you read the rest of the series, hoping it's as good as the first one, you're going to be disappointed. And I thought, well, that's just like your opinion, man. I think Dune becomes problematic when you don't consider Dune really is the first three books. The story arc of Dune is the first three books. It's intended to be read, all three of them. It's like a three-act play. Right. And like he started writing... Dune Messiah and Children of Dune. Before he wrote Dune. And then he was like, ah, I need, this needs some backstory. Right. Dune is, Dune is the, the Hobbit. Dune is like the yes. origin story for the rest of what he wanted to tell. Sure, if you only read the first act of a play, there might be problematic themes. But if you don't watch the other two acts of the play, do you know if they get resolved? No, because you didn't read the other two acts. Dune Messiah gets a lot of hate because it's a tonal shift. It's a huge tonal oh, shift. Oh, yeah, it's a 180. It's a 180 because you read Dune and it's like, yeah, dude bros, 
super, riding riding sandworms. Yeah, riding dicks around the desert, doing dude bro shit, saving the world, Fuck defeating yeah. the emperor, white savior. Yeah, I mean that's Dune, right? That's the whole point of Dune. Is like, oh yeah, we're dudes and we're smart and we are such such good fighters. We're able to like defeat the best fighters in the universe and shit. And then we like overthrow the emperor and we become the emperor because we're like so cool and shit. I mean, that's yeah. If, if that's your, if that's your jam, man, yeah. sure. And if that's your perception of Dune, and you have like enjoyed it so much that you identify with that interpretation of Dune, yeah. Dune Messiah is going to be problematic, right? Because Dune Messiah is like, okay, so remember how I told you Paul was the savior of the universe? Yeah, scratch yeah, bait that. Bait and switch. Yeah, scratch that. He starts a. It sounds louder than usual. Oh, maybe you need to turn yourself down. You're on two. That's what you're always telling me. There, is that better? Well, you yeah, don't know. that's better. Okay. Yeah, because Dune Messiah is like, remember how we established all of that? Ho, 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 little did you know, this wasn't about that. This was about how um, there is nothing more dangerous for a society than to have a prophet, like than to have a savior. Right. And oh, which it's I even told said you, which in I told the first you, book. but you weren't listening because you wanted this to be about dudes being cool and doing cool shit. And you weren't listening when I told you that Paul was going to be the death of the universe. Well, here we are. Welcome. Welcome to the re resolution of those problematic storylines. Or at least um, I've seen this referred to as a fugue where you take the same like theme from the first book and you repeat the theme in the next two books but each time the accompanying music changes it's like going from a minor key to or from a major key to a minor key or like Jet Li's hero a little bit like Jet Li's hero except we're not telling the same story we're just using the same themes right so this is at least 12 years later because the jihad was 12 years long and 61 billion people died. 90 planets have been sanitized. Sterilized. Sterilized. Yeah, he murdered 61 billion people to consolidate almost all of the known universe under his power. So if you're still thinking of this as a Paul's the hero of the story... You don't, you can't. How can you reconcile that? You're not supposed to. Right. And neither does Paul. Paul also doesn't agree with what happened. But he had, he knew from the very beginning this was coming and he did what he could to minimize it. That's why it only lasted 12 years. The best he could do was make sure it didn't drag on. And when we pick up the story, Paul is the emperor. He has overthrown, he did not let um, Shaddam IV stick around. He basically banished him banished back him to his planet. To, his, to the Sardaukar planet, to Seleucus Secundus, and was like, hang out there. You get to keep that. You get to keep one, one group of Sardaukar soldiers to play with, so you have some friends, um, and that's it. You're stuck on your planet. See you never. Yeah. Toodaloo. A irrelevant quote from the very end of the book says, I think this is Stilgar saying this, 
um, Paul's entire life was a struggle to his to escape his jihad and its deification. At least he's free of it. He chose this. Yeah. Even one of yeah. the characters who ends up being part of the major conspiracy, Sightail, is like, mm, was he the orchestrator of the jihad or was he as much of a victim of it as everybody else? Like, I'm pretty sure it rode him, not the other way around. Right. Because Yeah, even Paul says it. Yeah, because when his mother made the choice to fulfill those relig- that religious dogma in order to consolidate their power on Arrakis, she set their feet on the path that was going to lead to the jihad no matter what. Because even the, if he had died... The momentum for this messianic yeah. uh, narrative was already set, you know, what, hundreds, a thousand years ago on Arrakis yeah. by the Bene Gesserit, uh, the Missionaria Protectiva. Yeah. And Paul was just the, like... The catalyst. The catalyst to trigger this entire unfolding right. of the the known inevitable consequences of the mythology that had been planted. Correct. I mean, we just talked about this in Geometry for Ocelots, where religion is not a rational force. It's not a thing that you can predict the flow of. Because remember, they create a religion. Or you, you can't interfere it, in, interfere with it. Well, they create. he creates that religion in the hopes of that being what saves the universe, and ultimately it grows out of his control, and it's what destroys everything. And that's what happens here. So the book starts with an interrogation with one of Paul's Quetzalat. I, I guess we don't get a lot of detail. There's probably on the Dune wiki uh, a, a these deep explanation are? about what the Quetzalat is. It's his, but it's his like religious his, arm. His high priests. Yeah, it's the religious arm of his religious government. It's and like his religious government enforcers. His one of his priests is interrogating a historian for yeah. being, I don't know, for talking problematic about, for breaking down the role of um, heresy. That's it's heresy because for. he was breaking down the role of Paul, Paul's mother in establishing Paul as a religious figure because he was pointing out that his mother was a Bene Gesserit and that she uses her Bene Gesserit training to create the Paul mythos to begin with. And that was considered heresy because like he says, well, they are we're all looking the other way. Paul took the Fremen's virginity is how he phrases it. They basically used them and they didn't want it to be pointed out that they were used. They wanted the narrative to be that they were complicit in what happened. Yeah, He promised to transform your desert planet into a water rich paradise. And while he dazzled you with such visions, he took your virginity. Yeah. 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 And look this, over here. This priest really doesn't like this historian's view of things. So the historian is Bronzo of Ix. Yes. And he's about to be executed. Right. And he's talking about how to call the fact that you call Arrakis Dune reduces Dune down to a single it, it's too focused. You you lose the nuance around all of it. You only see it as, oh, it's a desert planet that produces spice. Okay, well, there's more to Dune. And when you carve it down to just 
Dune, you lose all of the excess around the edges, all of the peripheral that actually gives it context. Right. You, that stops informing your, your decisions. Correct. So that you are now making incorrect decisions because you've ignored a huge swath of relevant information. Yeah. I love how in this throwaway like entrance thing that we this this opening interrogation he has all of these uh this cutting commentary on religion as a whole in like three pages he's like oh well you're a priest you're trained to treat the truth as heresy yes (laughs) (laughs) your priests do well to make common cause with the bene gesserit sisterhood they too survive by concealing what they do yeah or Yes, let us hear you expand on the sacred spice. Sacred, as with all things sacred, it gives with one hand and takes with the other. It extends life and allows the adept to foresee his future, but it ties him to a cruel addiction and marks his eyes as yours are marked, total blue without any white. Your eyes, your organs of sight, become one thing without contrast, a single view. Well, thanks, Frank. There's even a foreword in here. Written by Brian. Yeah. To get there, the second novel in the series flipped over the carefully crafted hero myth of Paul Muad'Dib and revealed the dark side of the Messiah phenomenon that had appeared to be so glorious in Dune. Many readers did not want that dose of reality. Correct. They couldn't stand the demotion of their beloved charismatic champion, especially after the author had already killed off two of their favorite characters in Dune the loyal Atreides swordmaster Duncan Idaho, and the idealistic planetologist Liette Kynes. And later, the author felt that heroic leaders often make mistakes, mistakes that were amplified by the number of followers who were held in thrall by charisma. Among my father's most important messages were that governments lie to protect themselves, and they make incredibly stupid decisions. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder what it would be like to read Dune not knowing that Duncan and Liette were going to die. Because I feel like I watched the movie and I knew Duncan was going to die and I knew Liette was going to die. And then I was like, oh, I'll read the book. And when you read the book, you know they're going to die. So you don't really like fall in love with them because you know they're a temporary character. Yeah. I wonder if I read, I must have read the book after I watched the movie. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So... How to phrase this. Oh, this book was originally written as like a series of articles in a sci-fi magazine. It was published in parts. Oh, that's and right. And then compiled into the whole yeah. later. So that would have been wild. Like, oh, looks like Frank's put another article in the in the magazine again. I think I'm going to read it. <laughs> I hope I don't miss it. Uh, yeah. Oh, I shit. I missed the last one. The God damn it. And you get to like a later part and you're like, wait. When did he lose his eyes? Oh, I got to go back. I got to go buy the other one. That would be so wild. Can you imagine? It's like sometimes Wired will put will put stories in Wired, but not in like, oh, The Christmas Carol was originally published that way too. I don't know. That would be so, to have a magazine that you rely, you had such a viewership, you could literally have a published author write serially for your magazine. Would be wild, but really the whole point of this story is it's the, like Brian had said, it's the unraveling of the tapestry. So much like 
Penelope while she was waiting for Ulysses to arrive home. We spent an entire day weaving this tapestry, and now we're going to spend two books picking it apart. And the way we start doing that is we have all of these people who are in conspiracy against Paul. Because Paul must be brought down. But Paul cannot simply be killed. Like right, because Sytale then he says. would just be a martyr. Yeah, he'd be a martyr. You can't martyr him. That's the actual opposite of what they want to do. So it has to be a subtle undoing of Paul. And then finally, the death of Paul. And to do that, we introduce a whole bunch of characters. And we finally get to meet a guildsman, like a guild steersman, not just a... In a conversational way. Yeah. We we actually get to meet one of the people that have been changed. And I actually really enjoy this character because you're expecting these characters to be this really wise, really cool, really ancient, powerful creatures. And he's like a pompous asshole full of just stupid deepities. He's just... Uh, they're in this conference and it is... Irulan, Saitel, who we'd finally meet, this is a Tylaxu face dancer. And they're from Benet Twilax, and they're like the science planet, the yeah, genetic science planet. And other science planet, and they, uh, there's a consensus on taboos against computerized technology. Correct. And kind of advancing that to the point of where it was in, like, the machine age, whatever. Yeah. Bene Tlilax. 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 They don't really care about yeah, the taboos. Yeah, they don't give a shit. They push all the boundaries of everything. They're like, yeah, I hear you, uh, but look at this cool shit we for made. The, yeah, for the sake of, hey, we're figuring out how to make all this cool yeah, stuff. look at this really cool shit. And everybody's like, oh, man, they're really awful. Hey, how much does it cost to... How much does it cost to get a pair man, of eyes? Man, I, re I really need some new eyes. Yeah. Oh, man, I, I denounce you. I, I hate you. Hey, can you come over here and help me with this thing? Yeah. Really yeah. It's so, one of those, uh, as long as the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing, we can. And and the, the Yeah, you can't openly support them, but and they know everybody, that. The tax everybody know that. uses that. Yeah. And they're like, okay, well, you don't want us here, but you need us. So we have tons of power over you because we don't give a shit. And you give too many shits. Right. We make things that you wouldn't ever make, but you want them. Yeah. And Sightail is an amazing character from the beginning because Sightail right. is what's known as a face dancer. So they can They're change. Basically a shapeshifter. Yeah. They can completely change everything. Gender, form, size, anything. And psyche. Yeah. Completely. And, and they have to change their psyche to completely embody the person. They have this power that they call simpatico with a Y, <laughs> which is not simpatico like the Spanish word, which doesn't, it gets translated as nice, but it's not nice. It's like um, in the, oh, I guess in the original meaning of nice, which was accuracy mm -hmm. or complete understanding, like a... We are one. We're simpatico. We get each other. Yeah, like a resonance. Like a resonance. And they have to have that. But to do that, so oftentimes they'll impersonate someone close to the person that they're intended to harm or whatever. 
And so they fall in love with the people around them because they have to completely embody the person that they are. So they actually experience the love that the person they're impersonating has for the target. Correct. Which can interfere. But that's a whole part of their thing is like, we're capable of doing what we do, but we're capable of doing it no matter how we feel. It's this very nuanced, very... Trying to think about how to describe this. He's not just a thug. He could have easily made Sightail just a thug. Right. But they aren't. They're a very nuanced character who ultimately doesn't pay off, I think, in the way that you think he's going to at the very they, the way you think they are going to at the very beginning. But that's okay. By the time you get to the end, this whole conspiracy feels so silly. Because you realize how ultimately powerful all of these conspiracies are. In the face of Paul's own efforts to undo his own right. legacy. At the end, we so we have all these conspiracies kind of progressing through the entire book. And at the very end, it becomes apparent that they were all just kind of redundant. Because yeah. Paul has been doing all of this stuff on his own to deconstruct his own godhead. Yeah. To... To undo it in such a way that it doesn't have this shockwave effect of outright violence. Yeah. And I think Saitel knows that from the very beginning. He's one of the few characters that understands this is a far more nuanced situation than they give it credit for. Because Irulan, who we set up to be a very intelligent character in the first book, we find out appears intelligent, but is actually quite weak. Or I think they call her a whinging, like a whinging yeah. insect or something. Um, she is she's literally undone by 12 years of isolation, basically. She got into the situation where she was married off to this guy. And he was like, cool, there's your room. See you never. And then 12 years later, she's like, I just want a baby. All I ever wanted was a child, like somebody to take care of, somebody who needs me. And they're all like, oh, Irulan. <laughs> and it's Irulan Saitel, the Reverend Mother guy is Helen Mohiam, who improbably is still alive, and Edric, this guild steersman. And nobody wants Edric here. The only reason Edric is here is because wherever guild steersmen go, Paul cannot see. Right, the... Power of prescience lets you see potential timelines in your own future, but you can't see the direct effects of another prescient entity. Correct. And so whoever is prescient is invisible to another person that is prescient, and anyone that is directly collaborating with them is also kind of covered by that umbrella. Yeah. And so Paul can't see Edric directly, and he cannot see the people that are working directly with Edric. So he's he's just their protection. He's their umbrella to protect from, to hide them right. from Paul. But Paul can see where he is not. He can see the places he cannot see. He can, like, see the shape of absence. Yeah, he can see the hole. Yeah, he can see He's the like, hole. Like, ah, there's a thing happening here yeah. that I can't see. It's being del- like explicitly hidden from me, but that in itself is conspicuous. Right. And we do a lot this book to unravel the 
godlike power of prescience? Because in the first book, prescience becomes so huge. And it's this huge aspect of what makes it possible for Paul to be who he is and to do what he wants to do. And then we find out it can be unraveled by simply letting enough people view the future. So they create the Dune Tarot, which was a stroke of genius. Yes. And it's just tarot cards that you give out to people. And they give them out as like religious icons. And since most of the people on Arrakis are slightly sentient, like right. they, slightly psychic. just on the verge of the adeptness yeah. that is mentioned at the beginning where yeah, a high spice intake can give them a little bit of psychic ability. The tarot is just a tool that they can use to explore that, to actually activate it. Yeah. And once it's activated, they are now effectively a prescient umbrella. Correct. Around, you know, in their direct sphere of influence. I envisioned it kind of like the future is a still pond. And it, when mm -hmm. it was just Paul, he could see the ripples very clearly. Yeah. But once you throw too many pebbles in there there's too many conflicting ripples and it's no longer clear right and it takes a stronger rock it takes bigger waves to be able to see it and that's why he has to take increasing amounts of spice in order to see his way through the future to push his way through i think he calls it the mud of the dune tarot because it's kind of yeah. like stirring up sediment at the bottom of the water it muddies the waters and he can't see clearly anymore but they're all, they're basically trying to figure out how to use the growing resentment in Paul's own house against him. And they all think this is going to be relatively easy because they still view the Fremen as like savages. Right. And Which so, is very narrow minded. Right. So Sightail actually says um, the Fremen are civil, educated, and ignorant, they are not mad. They're trained to believe, not to know. Belief can be manipulated. Only knowledge is dangerous. He's like, what we have to do is subvert the belief system, and then we can get to him. But they do have a couple of inside people. They've got Korba, um, who has become high in the Quitzerat. Right, he's the head priest. Yeah, and he just wants more power. He's become power hungry. Um, it's really interesting because... So there's the running joke right now. How often do you think about the Roman Empire, right? <laughs> and it's the the idea that um, Paul's like a Roman emperor, and then he had this like group of loyal bros. He had the three hundred, the mm -hmm. I will die on this hill the for Fidikin. you, the Fadikan. And then I think one of the things that maybe dudes that uh, think about the Roman Empire too much don't like about this book is we undo the Fadikan too. Because we find out that they sort of got lost in the shuffle. That they went out and many of them saw things they'd never seen before. Right. They, they saw the ocean. They hadn't been prepared. Yeah. And all of a sudden it was like, oh my God, it felt so big when we were just on Arrakis. But I did not realize how much more was at stake. I did not know how big the universe was. And people like Othium just walked away. Right. They realized how narrow their worldview had been. Yeah. As Fremen and Fadikin and their singular mission to, like, in the name of Paul Muad'Dib. Right. And they were completely disillusioned. 
Yeah. And that and or you become like Korba and you realize how big the universe is and then you just want more control to feel like you have control over it. Instead of saying, oh, you know what? Hold up. I'm going to step back. This is too big for me. It's like, then I need to be bigger. And that's Korba. Yeah. And we also have Farak, whom we introduce later. And that's more of a, I was expecting to be taken care of and for my world to still feel the same way it was when we were just Fadaikin in the desert together. Right. It's probably a similar kind of disillusionment as Othium felt. But Othium was just like, I'm going back and I'm going to try to go back as closely as I can to the way things were. Yeah. When I, you know, felt like I had a purpose and I had a meaningful contribution to the world around me. But Farouk felt more betrayed and feels like he needs, like he's restless, like he needs to actually do something to resolve this problem and prevent it from happening to more of the Fremen. Correct. Um, but before, before the scene with the four conspirators, there's another chapter and it's, I didn't notice this until I was just reviewing it before this conversation. Um, it's the, the chapter ends yeah. with, Analysis of History, Muad'Dib by Bronzo of Ix. Okay, so the historian like, that we talked about. It's the, the interrogation by the priest of Bronzo. And then we get a chapter of Bronzo's history of Muad'Dib yeah. that has been causing so much trouble and caused him to get you know, taken in and executed. And then we get... I can only die once. <laughs> yes, but there are deaths and there are deaths. <laughs> Yeah, and so he he says a couple of things I highlighted. Um, Muad'Dib's imperial reign generated more historians than any other era in human history. Like yes, <laughs> yeah. And then clarifies that without Melange, the sisterhood's reverend mothers could not perform their feats of observation and human control. Without Melange, the guild's steersmen could not navigate across space. Without Melange... Billions upon billions of imperial citizens would die of addictive withdrawal. Without Melange, Paul Muad'Dib could not prophesy. Yep. And then the, at the end, we know this moment of supreme power contained failure. There can be only one answer. That completely accurate and total prediction is lethal. Yeah. And so basically, I, Paul undoes himself. When I was scanning through the book, just to prepare to make sure I had most of the plot points down. I was like, wait, who, who's the character in this chapter? What's going on? And then I realized it was an excerpt from Bronzo's history. Yeah. So, oh, okay. That makes more sense. I think the, the sweetest but saddest part of this whole book is yes, it's Paul navigating all of these conspiracies and kind of finding his way through them in a way that, manipulates them to his benefit. Right. I think he's he ends up being aware of most of the conspiracies. Right. And, and he's, he's letting them happen. He's playing them as much as they are playing him. Yeah. But his ultimate goal is to save Chani from suffering. Because I think we talked about this in the last several episodes, um, probably every episode, is that Paul, Paul has literally lived lifetimes with Chani. 
And so the first three books, or the first two books, really, and in some of the third book, it's a love story about Paul and Chani. And Chani never asked to be caught up in all of this. She just wanted to be with Paul. And they had their first son, and their first son was killed. And all she has ever wanted was to have more children with him. And he cannot deny her that. And yet he also knows that that is inherent to the seeds of their destruction, her destruction. Right. He knows as soon as she has another child, she's going to die. Yeah. And he could get out of this. He could get out of this. He could leave. He could abdicate responsibility for everything that he's created. But he can't because it would leave Chani to suffer. So the only way for him to save her, ultimately, is to unravel all of this himself. And so he is manipulating all of the pieces so that in the end, she will get what she wants and she will not go through what he sees her go through. Because he sees her like imprisoned, mocked, harmed. Right. And the most meaningful, fulfilling future for Chani is to have children. Yeah. So that's that's his ultimate goal is Chani needs some kids by him with the minimal suffering to Chani in the process. And that's his entire goal is to right. manipulate the possibilities to right. pick the the least worst. Yeah, the least worst option, because he knows that if he plays his cards right, his children will undo everything that was done in his name. He was complicit in some of it. You can't release him from all of the responsibility, but a lot of what was done was simply done in his name. And so he has to undo his name. He cannot simply undo himself. Uh, And there's a part where he's talking to Chani and he's thinking about how simple things used to be and how straightforward everything felt in the first book and how easy it would be for him to just leave. And he says, I'll yield myself up, he thought. I'll rush out while I yet have the strength. Fly through a space a bird might not find. It was a useless thought and he knew it. The jihad would follow his ghost. So he, he knows what's coming. I mean, he know he knows the entire book. That is why he is. That is the purpose of every decision that he makes in the book, is because ultimately he knows Chani is going to die, and that Chani's death is the best possible outcome of the worst best options. Yeah, and he is mourning her this whole book. He is doing everything that he's doing, knowing that he is setting her up to die but that that is what has to happen. Because otherwise, when she has these children, they will be used against her, and they will not have the power to undo what he's done. And he he's mourning her almost in spite of the fact that he's also like neglecting her. Yeah. He's deliberately not spending time with her, because the more direct attention he gives her, the more attention he directs to her by his enemies. And he kind of has to keep her out of it. You know, they're all focused on Paul. And if he's staying away from Chani, 
he's keeping Chani out of the line of fire. Right. So he's protecting her, but she's also like lonely. Yeah. She's her husband's not spending time with her. Yeah. He's doing it to protect her because he loves her so much. And he can kind of experience he he can spend time with her kind of in a like I know what's going on. I can yeah. I can literally see what's currently happening like everywhere. So I can watch Chani from a safe distance. And so I get to kind of have that one way um, you know, companionship. Yeah. But Chani doesn't get that back. No. With him. So and she's just it. left alone and yeah. he's he struggles with that. Right. It's like it's a painful book. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole first part is really him putting all of the pieces into place. It's him meeting with all the people he needs to meet with, getting all of the people that he sees in his visions in the right spot so that everything can unfold the way it has to. Yeah. So like so Erlon like, comes back from this secret meeting with Edric and Mohame and yeah. uh, Sytale. And she's immediately like, I need to have your baby. Yeah, let's let's do this. And he's like, <laughs> no. No. And no. Chani's like, Mm-mm. you need to do it. Yeah, she's like, it's cool if you do it. Like, you need an heir. An heir to House Atreides. That is not something you leave to chance or one, 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 one woman. Yeah. So. And Paul's like, Chani, I've, I, it's, it's cool. I got this. He actually offers. This is really interesting because Edric comes to visit and, um, the Reverend Mother is on a ship around the planet. and he she, ends up, Yeah, she's on the Highliner. Yeah, and he ends up bringing her down. Yeah, um, Corba does. Yeah, and she's like, I was in free space. And he's like, there is no free space. There's only Muad'Dib's space. <laughs> you were, you <laughs> Follow see that? me. You see that? I fucking own that. You see that over there? I own that too. It's all yeah. mine. And Mohame's like, uh, no, he told me if I ever came back down to that planet... Uh, I would be executed. I, like, I've been banished. I've been exiled yeah. on pain of death. And he's like, ah, it's been ordained. Yeah. Here you are. And then Paul talks to her. He's like, okay, well, you're really concerned about conserving my bloodline. That's cool. I get you. I'll give it to you. You want it? I'll give it to you. I my will... seed, but not of my person. Yeah. I'll give you my seed. You go to Bene Twilax. You give them my seed. They artificially inseminate someone of your choosing. And you get an heir. Because they don't want Irulan to have the baby. Because Irulan is as flawed in their eyes as Chani. Right. So the best possible solution is they get his sperm. They get a person that they actually want to have a gene match with. They put those two together. And they get an heir. But that heir can never be heir to the throne. And they can never, ever tell anybody that that is Paul's child. Because, because of the taboo. Because of the taboo against using technology to create that child. Right. Because of the taboo against artificial insemination. And he's like, okay, well, I mean, if that doesn't bother you, you can have it right now. And she's like, God damn it. Painted me into a corner. <laughs> because, you know, he's being cooperative. You want it? Fine, you got it. He's kind of gross because they spend some of the time being like, if only we could get him to have a baby with Alia. Yeah. Yeah. Which. And he's like. Definitely an angle to take. Hard pass. To, <laughs> They're both like, <laughs> hard pass. <laughs> he, 
Yeah, even the people uh, orchestrating this are kind of like icky. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it would distill, <laughs> it would concentrate the the genetic traits that we're trying to isolate, but ugh. Yeah, Corba actually tells her, because she says, um, I'm not on Arrakis. I'm a passenger in a guild highliner in free space. And he says, there is no such thing as free space, madam. Muad'Dib rules everywhere. And she goes, Arrakis is not my destination. And he says, Arrakis is the destination of everyone. <laughs> All roads lead to Rome. All roads lead to, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, let's see. There's this long conversation with... Uh, Irulan and Paul and then Chani and Paul. A lot and, happens. What we're doing yeah. is we're just, it's hard to describe everything that happens in the first probably two thirds of this book because it's a lot of delicate maneuvering. It's Sightail coming to the planet and then we find out that Farak is part of this conspiracy and he invites Sightail because Farak's son has something wrong with him and they can't afford or they don't want to get like a Telexi replacement. And remember he's right. playing the lute and it's a, um, like the mnemonic. Oh, he's playing the balisette and it's he like explains a mnemonic later thing. that the kid actually has an implant. Yeah. And Sightail has an implant and the music is. It's like the, downloading the, information. The kid's implant is driving the, music playing yeah and there's like data encrypted in the music and Sightail's implant is recording in that without anybody knowing what the actual content of the message is right it's just these they are carriers for this payload of information which is like a list of names and um you know, contact information and connections and yeah. spy information. Right. Oh, we forgot the most important part. When Edric comes to visit, he brings a gift. Well, um, oh, oh, one thing I wanted there. to bring up. Okay. I, I wanted to mention this. Mm -hmm. When he's, let's see, this is when he's, Paul is talking to Chani. After he says it was a useless thought and he knew it, the jihad would follow his ghost. Uh, he's in his internal monologue. I was like, I wanted only to look back and say, there, there's an existence which couldn't hold, hold me. See, I vanish. No restraint or net of human devising can trap me ever again. I renounce my religion. This glorious instant is mine. I'm free. What empty words. <laughs> and then we get the adab yeah. again. He recalled his, uh, let's see, he felt a heart constriction. A thing inflicted upon his lifeline. Adab, the demanding memory. He recalled his childhood room on Caladan then. Dark night in the stone chamber. A vision. It had been one of his earliest prescient moments. He felt his mind dive into the vision. Saw through a veiled cloud memory. Vision within vision. A line of Fremen, their robes trimmed with dust. They paraded past a gap in tall rocks. They carried a long, cloth-wrapped burden. And Paul heard himself say in the vision, it was mostly sweet, but you were the sweetest of all. Adab released him. And so we get this little tease. 
I know. From his, like his earliest prescient memory. He knew Johnny was going to die. Was of his grief yes. of Johnny dying. Yeah, because he knew to meet her and to have her was always to begin to lose her. Yeah. Whew. God. Man. Man. So fucking good. And then to, to hear somebody go, oh, they don't get any better. It's just like a gut punch, right? It, it feels like, did you get it? Right. How like how immersed in the story were you? Yeah. How how did you feel about the first one? Like, what part of it did you identify with that? A, it felt so problematic. You felt like you couldn't get past it, and B, you felt like you had to cling to that vision of Paul as this. Uh, okay, maybe kind it's of because, shallow, like idealistic version. Well, it's probably of because. Paul. So much modern fantasy, like let's say Wheel of Time right now, because Wheel of Time what's popular is what's popular right now, because I guess season two is really good. Okay. We didn't finish season one yet, but but we read the books. You read the books. Yes. And so you have Rand. They wanted him to be Rand. They wanted him to be Randall Thor, the the dragon, the savior of worlds, the wielder of great power. You mean the deeply conflicted, guilt-ridden no, no. character from the yeah, book but who series? ultimately saves the world? It's there's no subversion in the Wheel of Time. It's not about him yeah. being a bad guy. It's about him embracing the fact that he could be a bad guy, but he's choosing not to be. And you have a lot of these. You know, the, this is the this is the fantasy trope. The I'm a super powerful dude who's conflicted and dark, and but I'm smarter than everybody else in the room, and I'm going to use my own conflict to overcome my feelings of blah blah blah. And then I'm going to blah 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 save the world. Blah blah blah. I mean, that's I mean that's the and that's what a lot of guys and it's fine to want to identify with that. Right. That's what all Sarah J. Mass books are, except it's the girl. Right, it's just a woman. A woman with superpowers saves the world with her selflessness and her ability to bring people together against the problem. And um, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that story, but Dune is not that story. So if you read the first book thinking that's going to be that story, and then you get to the second book, and all of a sudden, Rand has created this religion around himself that has grown out of his control. He's killed 61 billion people over the last 12 years he's abandoned matt abandoned perrin abandoned everyone that he loved doesn't even really think about them anymore he kind of does though and then but then he kind of once he resolves his internal angst whatever yeah. uh he does his shadow work right he integrates Luz Theron. There's a way for him to then, get back to that. Yes. There is not a way for Paul, Paul to does get not that have back. A path back. He, there is no way back. And it doesn't feel triumphant. It doesn't feel like a happy ending because it doesn't have a happy ending. He doesn't get a happy ending. And that's the point of the story is that. This white savior narrative was always a lie. And in the end, it destroys him. And it destroys everything that he loves, which is Chani. Yeah. And that's the book. Because once we get through the first two, well, we got to, okay, before we get to that part, 
When Edric arrives, he brings a gift. And this is relevant because I think Duncan Idaho might be the only character that survives all of the books. (laughs) (laughs) Because Duncan Idaho, surprise, surprise, he gets brought back because they found his body and they were going to destroy it. And then they were like, hold up. Oh, no, they, um, one of the Sardukar recognized Duncan Idaho and um, like one of the sergeants or lieutenants, whatever. Yeah. Um, They're like, hey, is this Recognized his body and yeah. immediately had it preserved. Right. He's like, this is going to be important. And he's yeah. like, I know like the emperor is really going to like that we preserved this body and we're going to send it over to the planet X and we're going to do uh, something Twilight's. with it. Yeah. And uh, and we're gonna have we're gonna be able to do something with this, right? We're preserving the body as a a leverage or you know a tool that the emperor will be able to use. Yeah. And we're gonna be able to put one around so Paul with this. They send it out, and you know some people get involved, but then every everything falls apart while the body is in transit. With the orders to like resurrect it as a gola, yeah, the emperor never finds out, like the message never gets to the emperor, and so the Bene Talilaks, the people there, are like, Oh, we got this body of this person that has a close personal connection to Muad'Dib to Paul, yeah. the emperor Muad'Dib, and um, and we have instructions and like payment to go ahead and resurrect it, all right, but. All the people who like knew of this plan that were instructing us to do this, they're dead. Yeah. So we can kind of do whatever we Maybe want with this. What the fuck we want with this? And, and they, they, they do. do. They do whatever the fuck they want yeah, with. Yeah, they do. With the body of Duncan Idaho. Because the side, the Tlaxu are playing their own game. Yes. They're outside of it's the plans within plans, <laughs> plots within plots. Yes, we get the Irulan line plots yeah. within plots. Yeah. Uh, outside of the like the tripod of the spacing guild, the imperial forces, and the Bene Gesserit, and um, I guess the the imperial structure is Choam. Yeah. Uh, we off to the side yeah, on their own. We yeah. have uh, Bene Talilex. Yeah, and they're like the Vegas planet. They're like whatever goes. You yeah. know, whatever you do here stays here. It's cool. The Las Vegas of the Dune universe. <laughs> yeah. That's basically what it is. So they make, they recreate Duncan. And he doesn't have his own eyes, which I think is interesting. They give him um, Tlaxu eyes. So he has like, I think they're solid silver. They're, they don't look human. And they rename him Hate. And he spells it, which I think is hysterical. He's like, yeah, my name's Hate, but it's H-A-Y-T. And Paul's like, great thanks for clarifying like (laughs) (laughs) it's not hate like hate hate it's hate like h-a-y-t hate and he's like okay cool but he has no memories of being duncan idaho he he has occasional memories he says he has feelings but no memories so it's like he has the identity sense that he is explicitly not duncan idaho yeah he's he's an instance of mind in the shape of Duncan Idaho. Right. And he's a Gola. And that this is a known thing that Benny Twilex can do this. But people, it's, it's again, it's like a taboo thing. And so he's kind of like a 
okay, thanks for this. What am I supposed to do with this? And they're like, well, we trained him as a mentat and as a Zen Sunni philosopher. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> we thought it would increase his abilities with the sword. Yeah. Well, did it? Uh, we don't know. Yeah, I don't know. He's, he's like really good at thinking, but he's also really good at philosophizing. Hope for the best. And I love it when they're having interactions and he's like, who am I talking to, the Mentat or the Zen Sunni? And he's like, does there have to be a distinction? And Paul's like, yeah, there kind of does. Yeah, yeah, there does. And I think this is interesting because Paul is like, okay. Like he knows, he knows that this is sneaking a bomb into his into his backyard. He's fully aware of that, but he's like, huh, Duncan, like... Uh, he just wants to be Paul. He didn't want to be Paul Muad'Dib, you know. I think at one point somebody tells him, oh, yeah, because once we get to, like, once the novel gets going, because we get through all the conspiracy, and then we get to this part where finally everything is set in motion. The board is set, and we're ready to go. And so at this point, he has Duncan Idaho in his group, Korba, who we know is... Uh, conspirator. Irulan is sort of toothless. She's there, but whatever. He's got Gaius Helen Mohiam in prison. And I love the part where Irulan and Helen or and Gaius Helen Mohiam are talking, but they're talking, but they're also like hand signing at each other. Yeah, they're having this parallel conversation. Right. And he leaves. He leaves the palace to kind of walk among the people. And also because he's been summoned by one of his Fidaikin. And as much as they think he's forgotten them, it's just that he's doing to them what he had to do to Chani. He had to distance them to save them. Right, to protect them from all the the forces right. coming against him. And he goes to see Othium because Othium has learned of a conspiracy and he wants to tell him about it. And he this is where he picks up Lichna. Does he pick up Lickna so, here? Does he pick her up uh, earlier? So we get Sightail goes to Farouk. Yeah. And Farouk's son has, you know, married whatever, Othium's daughter, Lickna. Uh, but he gave her too much of this drug. He gave her this drug in an attempt to kind of brainwash her. Um, Samuta. But he gave her too much and he, like completely wiped out her personality and so he can like give her instructions about what to do and what to say but she doesn't really have any initiative of her own outside of instructions that she's given so Sightail, the plan is to get close to paul Sight, they're going to kill lickna and then Sightail is going to impersonate lickna yeah uh to get in right uh to get close to muadib so Saitail does that. Saitail shows up to the palace as Lickna. Um, Lickna is known as a, you know, a friend of the family. Yeah. You know, Othium and Paul are, you know, BFFs uh, well, I think from back in the old days. order for anyone related to the Fedaikin can come in and talk um, to him. I think Chani and Lickna kept in touch. Oh, okay. And so as a friend of Chani... Um, the guards knew Lickna, so they kind of, they let her in, and they're like, hey, Paul, Lickna has a message for you. And he's like, oh, oh, hey, sup? Yeah, and I love how he's immediately like, wow, that guy's really good at impersonating her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like one sentence in, he's like, that face dancer is really good. Wow. Oh, wow, he's doing a great job. Oh, poor Lickna. Yeah. Yeah. 
But he plays right along. He's like, okay, cool, yeah. And she's like, my father, Othium, needs you. Yeah. And and so Paul's like, okay, let's go. And they're like, wait, 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 wait. You can't actually be doing this. This is way too dangerous, Paul. And he's like, no, this is, I have to do my duty. He's like, I will do this thing because this is what I must do. And so they're like, okay, okay, fine. You can do this, but you need to do it. In like a safe way. So they like wait till nighttime. He's all dressed up in the like full still suit. So he just looks like a desert Fremen. He has like one, he knows, he has a guy in his guard that knows where Othium's house is rather than, um, because he doesn't want to take too much information from Lickna, but he doesn't want to expose that Lickna is a face dancer. Yeah. And so he's like, Okay, uh, yeah, he kind of looks over his shoulder. Does anybody know where Othium's house is? Rather than asking Lickna because it might yeah. be a trap. And they're like, oh, yeah, I know. I know, like, you know, this old, old Fremen guy from back in the old days. And he's like, okay, me and you, we're going to go. And the guy's like, okay. So they, they're walking the streets. Paul stops in the crowd and watches Alia doing yeah. this whole thing. And this scene is really sad because he's been having visions of the moon falling. Of the moon going dark. Yes. Because Chani is his moon. And he realizes that this is the first step on the path that will ultimately lead to her death. And so, like, once he starts this this interaction with Othium, like falling into this trap with Sightail and all of them. Yeah. Once he engages with that conspiracy plot against him, that's where things are set in motion that he won't be able to delay anymore. Because right. he's been stalling Chani's inevitable death as long as, as, long possible. as possible. Yeah. Or as he says, just as his moon would go, they were gone. Still, his vision lay before him. Its terrible purpose gave him no choice. The flesh surrenders itself, he thought. Eternity takes back its own. Our bodies stirred these waters briefly, danced with a certain intoxication before the love of life and self, dealt with a few strange ideas, then submitted to the instruments of time. What can we say of this? I occurred. I am not, yet. I occurred. God damn it, Frank. And let's see. Oh, before um before uh Lickna shows up with Paul, we get a scene with Alia and um Hate. Hate, yeah. And they they sent Alia out to uh investigate this these remains that they found out in the desert. Uh, because no nobody was able like the regular investigators weren't able to figure anything yeah. out. And so Alia and Hate have this um yeah banter almost. Yeah. And, uh, flirting? Uh yeah, kind of flirting. Like she's like, I I'm feeling these things and I'm not familiar with these feelings personally, but I recognize like my ancestral memories of these kinds of feelings. But I don't want to like this guy that way. Uh, he's an asshole for making me feel these things. Yeah. Uh, and we get we get 
Oh, uh, also, when the hate first showed up, Paul immediately asked, like, why are you here? And he's like, oh, but they yeah. want me to destroy you. Right, because the Talaxu always work in a way for the victim to get out of their death. Right. As That's their code. Their code of, like, assassination. Yeah, is we will do it. But if at any point they ask us directly, we have to answer truthfully. And so he asks the goal, and the goal is like, oh, yeah, I'm here to kill you. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. That's what I figured. All right. Great. You want to yeah, go to just, dinner? I just wanted to, you know, make sure that was all yeah. out in the open. You up for yeah. sparring later? And he's like, yeah, sure. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah. And he's <laughs> talking to Alia later and he's like, yeah, I've been sparring with him. And she's like, you're an idiot for doing that because he he even told me uh, he's here to destroy you. And he's like, no, 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 no. We've been sparring and I'm the better for it. <laughs> yeah. He's like, no, it's cool. It's fine. <laughs> We're going to be all right. Uh, but uh, out in the desert looking at these remains... Um, Alia, Alia says, um, why were you given to my brother? Your brother tells me that you watched the presentation. He said, you've heard me answer that question for him. Answer it again for me. I am intended to, to destroy him. Is that the Mentat speaking? You know the answer to that without asking. He, he chided. And you know as well that such a gift wasn't necessary. Your brother was already destroying himself quite adequately. <laughs> so, so they kind of go back and forth. Uh, he makes some more criticisms about Paul's like entire power structure. Uh, she accuses him of just retreating into Zensuni parables. And yeah, they're flirting because they're about to make it. Yeah, I will suggest to my brother that you are much too dangerous and must be destroyed. A solution I've already suggested, he said. <laughs> and that's why you are dangerous, she said, measuring out her words. You've mastered your passions. That is not why I'm dangerous. Before she could move, he leaned across, gripped her chin in one hand, planted his lips on hers. It was a gentle kiss, brief. He pulled away and she stared at him with a shock leavened by glimpses of spasmodic grins on the faces of her guardsmen still standing at orderly attention outside. Alia put a finger to her lips. There'd been such a sense of familiarity about that kiss. His lips had been flesh of a future she'd seen in some prescient byway. Breast heaving, she said, I should have you flayed. Because I'm dangerous? Because you presume too much. I presume nothing. I take nothing, which is not first offered to me. Be glad that I did not take all that was offered. <laughs> and she's like, Whew, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> and then um, he will order you executed, she said. Why? Because I took the kiss I wanted. He followed her. Let's see. The kiss you wanted. Outrage filled her. All right, Alia. The kiss you wanted then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the kiss I wanted she told herself true your truthfulness that's what's dangerous she said you return to the ways of wisdom he said not breaking his stride a mentat couldn't have, could not have stated the matter more directly now what is it you saw in the desert and then this is where, what I've highlighted I can't explain it she said but I keep thinking of the face dancers why is that that is why your brother sent you to the desert, he said, nodding. Tell him of this persistent thought. But why? Why face dancers? 
There's a young woman dead out there, he said. Perhaps no young woman is reported missing among the Fremen. Mm. And so that's kind of the first hint to the reader that, oh, we've we've already interacted with one young woman. Yeah. Well, we, like we explicitly state it because he's like, this is Lickna. And then Saitel's like, I'm doing a really good job being Lickna. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we know pretty much immediately. And so even Hate and Alia know yeah. that. But everyone's like, it's cute. We'll just let this happen. Yeah. Paul has to let this happen. These are all steps on the path. And at one point, Paul's kind of explaining the limitations of his prescience. He's trying to communicate it, con- to convey the me, like the significance of the nuances of how prescience works. And Alia's like, oh yeah, you know, you are in the the crest between the dunes, and I stand. Or you're you're in the valley of the dunes, and I stand at the crest. And that's so you're blind to all this stuff. I can see it, yeah. and I can see mountains in the distance that hide what's behind them. And Stilgar's like, okay, yeah, but whatever is behind the mountains has to cross the dunes to get to us. So like, you'll see it coming. So it's all good. <laughs> And then Paul's like, thanks, Dill. <laughs> really and appreciate then you. shortly after that, uh, we haven't pulled. Oh, oh, okay. I'll I'll wait until we get there. Well, I'm trying to get to my favorite part, which is after we go to Othiums. Yes. Okay. So I just wanted to cover the Alia hate. Yeah. Um, little teaser there. Yeah, my favorite part of this book is when we really hit it. Okay, so everybody is finally in place. We've had a lot of exposition. We've met a lot of characters. We've manipulated a lot of really finely detailed interwoven plot lines. And now we get the payoff. Yeah. And that's Sightail, when- Lickna comes up, sets the hook sets for the this hook. conspiracy You gotta go plot. to Othium. Okay, so he goes to Othium. He shows up at Othium's house. Othium has a disease, the spitting disease that he picked up yeah. uh, while he was out uh, g- yeah. gallivanting, murdering 61 billion people. Um, and he's like, yeah, I'm soon to die. The, the tribe is soon to have my water. Um, but as he's walking there, he's being guided by this Fremen guy. And he goes, I leave you here, the old man said, taking his hand from Paul's sleeve. It is on the right, second door from the far end. Go with Shai Halud, Muad'Dib, and remember when you were Usul. Yes. And so he gets there, and he does. He has like a Othium. Like, I wish we could have just been you and me, bros in the desert forever, man. And he's like, yeah, me too. But you should know that there are people who are plotting against you. And he's like, thank you, Othium, for calling me out here. I know this isn't about you being part of the conspiracy you're just trying to do your your best and he's like yeah great would you like this little person that i picked up while i was walking yeah. come in the dwarf insisted <laughs> yeah yes because now we meet bajaz because and bajaz, bajaz is not in his vision no bajaz he's like oh snap. where was the dwarf where was the difference yeah is what he's thinking right and he's like you know what it's fine it doesn't actually change all that much because Bajaz is actually a like a Talaxu creation. He's another yeah. type of Gola. Yeah, my dwarf Othium wheezed. I bought him on 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 a world. I forget. He's a human distrans, a toy discarded by the Talaxu. 
Talaxu. Talaxu. He's recorded all the names, the traitors. Uh, like in his, he has one of those memory implants. I'm getting like how to pronounce Tylex from the 1984 Dune. Okay. Yeah. Uh, looking I'm, at it phonetically, it seems like it would be Talaylax. Yeah, because but, he says, I folded space from X, many machines on X. And he goes, better than the machines on Benny Twilex. Okay. So I'm I'm just trying to pronounce it like more smoothly, like how they would actually say it conversationally. But it keeps getting mixed up. <laughs> it's all right. I'll do it for you. Benny Twilex. Think of it as TW Twilex. Yeah. So he's just kind of catching up with Othium. Yeah. And he's Bajaz like, the, what do you want me to do? But Jazz is um, a hysterical character. He speaks in rhyme. <laughs> in riddles. In riddles and puns and like folded speech. So where he takes a previous statement and folds it back on itself and makes it into like a, a joke. Yeah. And he jokes about himself a lot. And people are like, why do you joke about yourself? He's like, because I am a joke. And it's perfectly fine with me that I'm a joke because you're a joke too. I don't speak. I operate a machine called language. It creaks and groans, but is mine own. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Bajaz. What other talents have you, Bajaz? I know when we should leave, Bajaz said. It's a talent few men have. There's a time for endings, and that's a good beginning. Let us begin to go, Usul. <laughs> He's trying to get him out. He's like, should we go now? And Paul's like, what's the rush, Bajaz? And he's like, well, it's time to go. I think we should probably go. And he actually starts sweating. And Paul's like, you you seem upset. What are you upset about? He's like, I'm upset because I'm telling you we need to fucking go. And we're not fucking going. And he's like, it's cool. I want to stay here and talk to my friend for a minute. He often rattles on thus, Jury said, worry in her voice. I think it's why he was discarded. <laughs> I will not be patronized, Bajaz said. Yet I have a new patron. How strange the workings of the finger. Uh, he calls, he says, you're the Atreides emperor, Paul Muad'Dib. And you are my finger. He held up the index finger of his right hand. Bajaz, you tempt fate. I tempt my finger, Bajaz protested. <laughs> I point at Usul. Is my finger not Usul himself? Or is it a reflection of something more base? He brought the finger close to his eyes, examined it with a mocking grin. Ah, it's merely a finger after all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's a brilliant character. We've no time for your stupid riddles, Jury growled. You should be gone. <laughs> I'm riddled with conundrums, but not all of them stupid. <laughs> to be gone, Usul, is to be a bygone. Yes, let us buy let, let us, us let bygones be, be bygones. Jury yeah. speaks truth, and I have a talent for hearing that too. You've truth sense? Paul asked. <laughs> like not he's not going along with this at all yet. I've now since yeah. Bajaz said. <laughs> He's like, let's go. And so ultimately they leave. He's like, thanks, Othium. Really appreciate it. Thanks for the gift because he gets given Bajaz. Yeah. And that's that was like the goal of this was right. Lickna shows up, gets Paul to go to Othium. And Othium's like, hey, uh, there's plots against you. Take this. Uh, it's take, dangerous to take go alone. Take, take this. Bajaz. Yeah. He has an implant with all the names of the conspirators. Um, and I hope this is helpful to you to protect yeah. yourself. And it's kind of more like Paul's. Paul gets this whole list of conspirators and he's like, great, I knew most of this already, but oh, cool, here's some people I didn't know were conspiring against me. Now I can manipulate them to help me take myself down even better. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and so as he's leaving, Othium's house gets burnt by a stone burner. Which is kind of like a nuclear 
bomb that doesn't have fallout. Yeah. It's just the initial burst of like neutrons um, destroys certain kinds of organic tissue, specifically eyes. Like Paul's eyes. Like everybody's eyes within like a mile radius. Yeah. And so his eyes are gone and he is blind. But at this point, his prescience is so well developed and his this future is so set in stone that and he does not need his so eyes. He can navigate by his prescience. Paul is so resistant to leaving because uh, – here's, here's a line that kind of explains it. Um, the dwarf does possess the power of prescience, Paul thought. Did he share the oracle's fate as well? How potent was the dwarf's power? Did he have the little prescience of those who dabbled in the Dune Tarot, or was it something greater? Best you go, Dury said. Bajaz is right. Every minute we linger, Bajaz said, prolongs, prolongs the present. Every minute I linger defers my guilt, Paul thought. A worm's poisonous breath, its teeth dripping dust, had washed over him. It had happened long ago, but he inhaled the memory of it now, spice and bitterness. He could sense his own worm waiting. And then they leave. Yeah, and then they leave. And that's when the stone burner happens. And they're like, oh no, Paul is blind. Because blind Fremen must go to the desert. And he's like, they've blinded my body, but not my vision, Paul said. Ah, still, I live in an apocalyptic dream. My steps fit into it so precisely that I fear most of all I will grow bored reliving the thing so exactly. And Stilgar's yeah. like, uh, what? And he's like, don't try to understand it. Accept it. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, for me, the world and the world beyond here are all the same. And I see every movement all around me. I see every expression of your face. I have no eyes, and yet I see. And so from here on out... Um, he gets to navigate purely by his vision, which for a very brief time builds his godhood up even more because they're like, shit, he lost his eyes. Like and we can, can see these see? empty, like he goes and gets like the dead eye tissue removed. Yeah. And they're like, okay, we can like make, make you look better. And he's like, no, no, leave I just, it. I just want empty it. holes in my face, <laughs> uh, which Seems a little short-sighted as he's trying to, like, discredit himself. Yeah. It may have... It's the only way forward for him. Right. Like, because it gives him an out at the end of he's it. He's following the one path that leads to his goal, which is the birth of his and Chani's children with minimal suffering to Chani. Right. So it's a short-term sacrifice, long-term gain. And so, like, every decision along the way, like, oh, if he had, he could have concealed the blindness uh, so that people weren't disturbed. Or he could have played along, like, oh, you know, guide me, whatever, which would, like, make him appear weak to everybody and discredit him a little bit. But he just goes full full bore straight ahead. Well, I think at this point, there's no turning back. I mean, at this point, there's no undoing his... The only way to... Un 
he has to appear strong in this moment. Like he has to. Right. He he is right. It would have invited more attackers, right? And probably put Chani in more danger, right? And it would have brought into question: Shouldn't he be walking out into the desert if he is one of us? If he is a Fremen and he's blind, he should be going out into the desert. And he he has to play this role right now because no one can question what he's about to do. He needs to, if anything, hold more sway than he ever has. He has all the pieces lined up. Right, because he has been concealing his own part in the conspiracy against him this entire time. But that moment has passed. It doesn't matter anymore if they know that he's complicit or not. And actually, Bajaz ends up being the one who triggers um, Duncan Idaho. Who uh, plants the compulsion in Idaho. Because they're like, well, he already had it. He just unlocks it. Mm, it It happens when... Hate and Bajaz meet. Yeah. And there's a moment where he kind of like hate had been pre programmed to be susceptible to a suggestion, but the full suggestion had not been planted. And so Bajaz shows up and prom- maybe it's like closer to the right time. Bajaz plants the trigger as a phrase that Paul is going to say. And maybe they needed to be closer in time and space to when they wanted hate to attempt the murder, the assassination. Yeah. For for the like correct trigger phrase well, they to thought be implanted. The, they thought the stone burner was gonna work. That's a good point. And it didn't. And so, and this so is now the plan this B. is the backup plan. And so Bajaz triggers the Golas to kill to kill Paul. And ultimately what this does is acts as the lever to break Hate free to become Duncan Idaho. Right. The the latent embedded personality. The adab. Of the Duncan Idaho. Of Duncan uh, Idaho comes Takes back. over hate. And yeah. just evicts hate from, from its body. Right. And I love the Talaxu um, response to this because they failed, but they haven't failed. They're like, he killed him. Great. He didn't kill him. He gets to become Duncan Idaho. Sweet. This is the best advertisement we could have hoped for. Look, we can literally bring your loved ones back if like we can find full, the right lever. Full revival. Yeah. Yeah. If we can find the right lever, we can bring the we can bring people back. And Paul is like, I'm beyond this right now. Like, thank you, Duncan, for trying to kill me and the becoming Duncan. And like I'm really glad to have you back. But I got bigger things on my mind because Chani's pregnant. She's getting ready to have these babies. We're going out to the siege. And he gets to spend like one little bit more with Chani and he gets the sweetest line well before right after the stone burner thing he goes and has um Corba arrested oh yeah he kills a bunch of people involved in the conspiracy yeah. he's like okay all these people are involved in the conspiracy I don't out, need them anymore he walks out full eye socket yeah exposed and is like you and he's like I have a right to face my accuser and he's like I'm accusing you yeah and he's like but you're blind. It's like, I'm not blind. I see you. <laughs> <laughs> so, and they're and, all like, oh, shit. <laughs> and they, he, he comes out to do this to be, to shock everybody um, on purpose so that Alia paying attention will be like, oh, like these are the like ministers or whatever right. that were cooperating with Korba to take you down. And so they've foiled Korba's plot 
but he's just he's like okay that plot yeah that's that's not actually going to help me out in my plot mm-hmm. so we'll get rid of corba and all his minions uh now we're just going to focus on the bjaz irulan like all that business twilight's plot yeah uh and we're going to cooperate with that one because that's the path that i need to be taking right yeah, this is the he has a path. He can't deviate from it. He he literally cannot. The future now is more or less set in stone for him. Yeah, and we get a little um implication that Alia may be able to see more with her prescience either because of her unique attributes um her Bene Gesserit uh reverend motherness. Yeah. Or because she's taking even more spice than Paul has been taking. Yes. Uh, but she's not as good at interpreting it as Paul is. So in the trial with Corba, Stilgar gets up and like basically defends Corba. And Paul is like, yes, Stilgar, you're very right. That is an accurate legal statement. We cannot execute him. Like immediately. And Alia says, Alia interrupts him as they're leaving. She's like, Paul. And he's like, he just whips around and is like, when we precipitate violence, it'll be when we have full control of it. Thank you, Still. You played your part well. Alia, I'm certain, has identified the naives who were with him. They couldn't help giving themselves away. You cooked this up between you? Alia demanded. Had I ordered Corbus slain out of hand, the naives would have understood. But this formal procedure without strict adherence to Fremen law, they felt their own rights threatened. Which naives were with him, Alia? And so she kind of is like, go tell this person. Have him yeah. write them down. I don't I don't need to be involved in this. Yeah. I have more important things to focus my attention on. <laughs> than the people who tried to kill me. And so Alia's like, why, why didn't I see that? Like... I yeah. know that he can't see the full extent of what I can see, but he's maneuvering this so much more deftly than I am. Yeah, what the fuck? What am I missing? And so this really only drives her to take like a higher dose of spice the next time. Right. Which makes her almost like loopy comatose. <laughs> well, she like tries to kill herself. Yeah, and I think Duncan has her sedated. Yeah. Well, he uh, saves at that her. Hate. At this yeah. time, it's hate. He hate saves has her, her because he realizes that um, Alia is very conflicted, and we haven't even seen the full extent of Alia's conflict yet. Yeah. Um, Stilgar says, I can remember a time when you would not have mistaken your brother's purpose here, Stilgar said. I was distracted, Alia said. There's been a dramatic change in you still. What is it? Stilgar says, why do you say I've changed? You're preparing to disobey my brother, she said. I can read it in you. I only hope it doesn't destroy you both. And then Stilgar thinks, you produce a deadly paradox where there's there's problems with how she's, like what her intentions are, what her motivations right. are. She can see it, but she doesn't have the same depth of understanding of its significance in the way that Paul does because Alia, physical Alia is young but mentally old 
and she had no time to establish her own personality. And she actually cannot and should not access a lot of the memories. She can't integrate the memories into herself in the way you think she would, because they aren't just memory. They aren't like, it's not like a textbook detached from a personality. She would be integrating another entire personality in order to absorb those skills. So accessing those skills for her is like a double-edged sword because it's inviting someone else into her head. And she doesn't have the and they don't always lifetime leave. of like personality built up that would help her keep hold of her mind. Correct. If she lets someone all the way in. Yes. And, and then, we yes, that's yeah. a theme we explore. At length in Children of Dune. And that's why they call her abomination. It's not just being pre-born that makes you abomination. It's... Right. It's the the influence from your... Past The memories of your ancestors. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because part of what Paul is doing in this book is setting Alia up to be the one who holds onto this, knowing that Alia will ultimately be what destroys it, knowing that it is just another step in dismantling his legacy. Because he knows what's happening to Alia and he can't stop it, but he can put it into a position, put her into a position where it ultimately serves the good of the universe. Her self-destructive nature. Her self-destructive nature. And that's what he does. Because even at one point, um, Saitel is talking to Eldrick Edric. And Edric is like, it's cool. All we have to do is cut the head off the snake and the rest of it will die. And Saitel's like, you know, this snake has two heads. Yeah. And the other head, like, is going to get married. Right. And produce a child. Yeah. And Edric's like, it's fine. It's cool. And Saitel's like, I don't, oh, I don't You're like You're naive. Your, yeah. I don't like yeah. your ignorance, is what he yeah. says. Yeah. So immediately after the scene where they sent Corba off, and Stilgar and Alia have that interaction. Hate is inter, um, interrogating Bajaz. Yeah. And Bajaz is just, you know, out being con- Bajaz, out conversating him. I don't yeah. want to just keep reading Bajaz quotes because uh, that's too tempting. But, <laughs> um, but hate is like, you, you're playing a dangerous game here. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to get information out of you. You're not really cooperating. You're just, you know, twisting me in circles uh, very like, effectively. Me? <laughs> me? And now yes. I know your target, Hate said. You were aimed at me. And I've hit it right on, Bajaz said. You made such a big target. How could I miss? He nodded as though to himself. Now I will sing to you. He began to hum a keening, whining, monotonous theme, repeated over and over. Hate stiffened, experiencing odd pains that played up and down his spine. He stared at the face of the dwarf, seeing youthful eyes in an old face. What are you doing to me? Hate gasped. You are the instrument I was taught to play, Bejaz said. I am playing you. Let me tell you the names of the other traitors among the naives. Hate shook his head from side to side. He found it too difficult to talk. We are like brothers, Bajaz said, interrupting his monotonous tune once more. We grew in the same tank, I first, and then you. 
And then let's see, there's some more talk, but this is the scene. This is the interaction where Bijaz primes hate with the phrase that Paul is going to say after Chani dies. Yeah. And he's like, and when Paul says that, that's when you kill him. Yeah. And then he's like, but you're not going to remember this. Yeah. You're just going to be. Forget everything yeah. I just said. You're only going to remember th the names of the conspirators. Yeah. Like me um, actually giving you the information that you came here to get. Yeah. Yep. And then Paul gets one kind of final moment with Chani and it's, she's already pregnant and yeah. they're just kind of they sitting and having a, a conversation because right? they go to the siege to have the babies to just kind of have a moment. And he says, we are so money rich and so life poor. Yeah. Oh, God. Every time they interact, I'm like, oh, why is this so much more romantic than some of the romance I've read recently? And then he says it again, that it was mostly sweet, he whispered, and you were the sweetest of all. And then he goes and stands outside. He does not watch her give birth. He can't bear it. He's seen right. it, and he can't bear to watch it. And so he's standing outside, and he feels her go. He, hear, he hears her cry out. And he's like, Chani, Chani, he thought. There was no other way. Chani, beloved, believe me, that this death was quicker for you and kinder. They'd have held our children hostage, displayed you in a cage and slave pits, reviled you with the blame for my death. This way, this way, we destroyed them and saved our children. We skipped over the the next interaction with Hate and Alia, where Alia's taken a huge dose of spice. Yeah, I said that she tries to kill herself, and he saved him. Uh, there's she, there's so she, many little pieces in this; it's difficult to go through them. Well, she um, in order. Let's see. She says, "This book, for as short as it is, has a lot of moving parts." And it's really challenging to talk about all of the gears. You really have to have read it. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, I know. But So I didn't want to break down individually absolutely everything that happens because I'm I'm not. So I'm just much. wanting to hit the highlights. Okay. Of the, like, that's a highlight for you. I want to hear about it. Um so Alia's like stumbling, like delusional. Um the Ben and Jesuit stumbled. She said, now they wish to regain their balance by leaping beyond my brother. They want Chani's baby or mine. Are you with child? Hate says. She struggled to fix herself in a time-space relationship to this question. With child? When? Where? I see, my child, she whispered. Blah, blah, blah. The spice, a large dose. Why can't I see him? She said. Tell me, Duncan, why I cannot see him. Who can't you see? I cannot see the father of my children. I'm lost in a tarot fog. Help me. And then he spends a while just calming her down. And she says, I don't want to be a part of history, she whispered. I just want to be loved and to love. But she can't really have that because yeah. she's this goddess figure. Yeah. And anybody around her is basically under her influence. And she couldn't actually have a a real reciprocal relationship with. Right. So she's kind of 
trapped. She gets sedated and she explains to Duncan, uh, he's talking about Paul. He's in the bait of his own trap. He's the servant of power and terror, violence, deification is a prison enclosing him. He'll lose everything. It'll tear him apart. You speak of Paul? They drive him to destroy himself, she gasped. Who is doing this? He is. Oh, you're so <laughs> dense. He's part of the pattern, and it's too late. Yeah. Too late. And then we get to uh, Paul, Chani, Mohame, Irulan, Bijaz, Hate, and I think that's it. They all go out for Chani to give birth. And yeah. Chani's like, what? Why are all these people here? Yeah, can like, we just go is, together? Isn't Mohaim your prisoner? Like, what? And Why he's did like, you it's bring cool, her Chani, along? Don't worry about it. It's cool. It's don't all good. It. Uh, wait, did Edric come too? He says the original meaning of companion is just that we travel in company. Can they not travel as our company? Yeah. And she's like, I guess. Yeah. Bijaz, hate, uh, Edric. Yeah, Mohame, everybody. All, everyone, Lickna, all, the, all the pieces of the conspiracy he brings And Stilgar. Him. Yeah. With Paul and Chani. Yeah. And so Paul's like, good. I've got everybody. Whew, like, I got them here. Like, this is almost finished. Yeah. We got here. Everything's in place. Uh, it's all going to go down just fine. Yeah. And then he um, he leaves. He goes and stands outside right, and with hate. Duncan, yeah. And he's calling him Duncan. And this yeah. is the part where... Duncan has figured out, Hate has figured out that he's under some kind of compulsion to kill Paul. Yeah, perspiration broke out on his forehead. Thoughts yeah. with fuzzy edges feathered away into darkness unknown. Infinite systems. A mentat could not function without realizing he worked in infinite systems. Fixed knowledge could not surround the infinite. Everywhere could not be brought into finite perspective. Instead, he must become the infinite momentarily. In one gestalt spasm, he had it. Seeing Bajaz seated before him, blazing from some inner fire. Bajaz, the dwarf had done something to him. A compulsion. I've been rigged with a compulsion. A blue-robed courier passing his hate spoke, hesitated. Did you say something? Not looking at him, the gola nodded. I said everything. <laughs> well, he goes out to tell Paul. Yeah. He's like, listen, I have something to tell you. And Paul's like, yeah, I know. You're rigged with a compulsion to kill yeah. me. And he's like, what? And he's like, do you know what it is, the compulsion he gave you? And he's like, yeah, violence. And Paul's like, yep, but it's cool. You're yep. going to be all right. And Paul's just like, can you tell me, like, can you tell me what you see? Yeah, he's what like, do you Can't see you around see? us? He's like, my lord. And he goes, the desert. How is it tonight? He's like, don't you see it? And he goes, I have no eyes, Duncan. And he goes, <laughs> 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 and he goes, now but, Paul's playing the like band. He's like he's finally like relaxed enough. Yeah. He's he doesn't have to deliberately manipulate all these threads simultaneously to make sure everything happens correctly. He's finally like, okay, uh, everything's in place. Yeah. I just need to let the river flow. Right. And so he can finally relax enough to have some banter with Duncan. Yeah. With his, he, with yeah. his old buddy. But I have no eyes, Duncan. And he goes, but and he goes, I only have my vision. Paul said, and wish I didn't have that. 
I'm dying of prescience. Did you know that, Duncan? And he goes, uh, perhaps what you fear won't happen, the Gola said. What? Deny my own oracle? How can I when I've seen it fulfilled thousands of times? People call it a power, a gift. It's an affliction. It won't let me leave my life where I found it. <laughs> and he goes, my Lord. Uh, uh, and he's like, what? What did you call me, Duncan? He's like, what? Oh, he said. Young master. Young master. Yeah. You don't. I. He fell silent. Yeah. Yeah. What did you call me, Duncan? What What did you say? And he's like, You called Nothing. me young master. I Nothing. did, yes. Was that part of your training? No. What then? It came from me. Do you serve two masters? Perhaps. Free yourself from the gola, Duncan. <laughs> he's like, oh! <laughs> You're human. Do a human thing. I'm a gola. Yeah. But your flesh is human. Duncan's in there. Something's in there. <laughs> I care not how you do it, Paul said, but you'll do it. You've foreknowledge? Foreknowledge be damned, Paul turned away. And then this is where he hears. Yeah, he hears Usul. Uh, yeah, he, he hears, hears Chani's call for him. Like death cry. Yeah. And then he says, it was mostly sweet, he whispered, and you were the sweetest of all. And this part from here on out is the saddest fucking thing I've ever read in my entire life. I wanted to cry the entire time it's at the end. Because at this point, Paul's like, fuck it, it's done. I gave Chani what she wanted. I took her out of the equation before she could suffer. I set myself up so that I can dip because I'm so fucking tired of this life that I have built for myself. And I need, <clears throat> I need to die to dismantle my own godhood. And I have done that. And I am so ready to be done. He can't even see anymore once Chani dies. He's like, yeah. done. Yeah, it had struck a powerful note then. The ghost echoes my might endure. Uh, let's see, Paul strained at memories, trying to recall the sound of Chani breathing beside him in the night. Where is their comfort, he wondered. All he could remember was Chani at breakfast the day they'd left for the desert. Why do you wear that old jacket, she demanded. You're an emperor. Even an emperor has his favorite clothing. Uh, let's see, brought tears to Chani's eyes. Fremen inhibitions had been shattered. Now who gives moisture to the dead? <laughs> well, no, this is the line that I think makes the whole book for me. And it's at the very end. They guide him into the room because as soon as Chani dies, he can't see anymore. What? Uh, uh, Right at the end of this scene where he's like recalling memory memories. Yeah. Who gives moisture to the dead, he wondered. It was his own face, yet not his. The wind chilled the wet skin. A frail dream formed, broke. What was this swelling in his breast? Was it something he'd eaten? How bitter and plaintive was this other self giving moisture to the dead? The wind bristled with sand. The skin, dry now, was his own. But whose was the quivering which remained? They heard the wailing then, far away in the siege depths. It grew louder, louder. And then someone comes to tell him, yeah. Johnny's dead. And he's like, I know. He's like, I heard her call. I heard it. And he goes in, like they guide him in, and it's, it says, Paul felt himself accepting now the fact that Chani was dead. He had taken his place in a universe he did not want, wearing flesh that did not fit. 
Yeah. And that is the most accurate description of grief that I can possibly imagine anybody writing. Yeah. This is a world I don't want. And this body doesn't feel like my own anymore. That's why I wanted to read the, even an emperor has his favorite clothes. Yeah. Like, and now he's in they had this totally, flesh that doesn't fit. Yeah. They had this totally normal breakfast moment where she was like, why are you wearing that thing? It's ugly. Yeah. Like when you wear your comfy sweater and I'm like, do you still own that? And you're like, <laughs> yeah, it's my favorite fucking sweater. And that's basically the moment they had. And now he's like. That's good. This, this is a universe. That was the where, last. This like, is a universe where that moment, moment doesn't exist. I can't have another moment like that. And I'm not that person anymore because I was only that person when Chani was here. And now Chani is gone. And this is a new world and I don't like it. And this is a new me and I don't want it. And this is when Alia brings in Lickna. And she's like, listen, listen to what Lickna has to say. And Paul's like, it's not even fucking Lickna. Like, guys, keep up. That's not Lickna. And Alia's like, yeah, but listen to what she has to say. And this is when Sightail is like, we can give you Chani back. You want Chani back? Just like you got Duncan? You want her? We can make that happen. And Paul is like, oh, my God, it is so hard to say no. Do you have any idea how hard it is to say no right now? And he's like, no. And in the end, Sightail tries to kill the babies because there's two of them. Yep. And it's Leto, the boy, who gets like a legit name. And then poor Ganima gets the name that means spoils of war. <laughs> like he's been fighting this whole yeah. war. For this outcome. And Hera. Hera who and is he James's, wins it. Hera, who is Jameis's wife. Remember Jameis from the very first book? Hera is still around. Hera is Hera Paul's is Ganima. Ganima. And Hera's like, fucking seriously. And he's like, what? It's true. She's a spoil of war. Yep. Yeah. And he uses Leto's vision to defeat Sightail. Yeah, to guide his throwing of the knife. Right, because he sees through his son's eyes because his children are pre-born like alio was pre-born. and one of the things we've established in the first book is that telepathy like isn't a thing right so there's one point where mohame is complaining that alia is in her head and the emperor is like telepathy like you told me that's not possible and she's like it's not telepathy god <laughs> <laughs> I, why yeah. do I have to keep explaining this stuff to you? Yeah. And so now Paul is seeing out of his son's eyes in real time. Yeah. And so, whoa, what's, what's now that? his children are even more something different than he and Alia were. Correct. They are. Because even he's not really the Kwisatz Haderach. He is something right. else. He's something unexpected. And they are not the Kwisatz Haderach. They are something unexpected. Yeah. And he didn't know there was going to be two of them. Right. He says two babies, like as he's walking towards the the room where Chani gave birth. Yeah. And with Duncan. And they said, yeah, the, the medic said there's two healthy babies, a boy and a girl. And he's like, wait, two babies? He's like, shit. Chani, Chani, he thought. There was no other way. Chani, beloved. Believe me that this death was quicker for you and kinder. I read that one just a minute ago. Oh, you did? Yeah. 
Yeah. Because he's like, I permitted this and I should feel guilty. He was like, they would have blamed you for my death and they would have harassed you and they would have harmed the babies. Yeah. Displayed you in a cage and slave pits, reviled you with the blame for my death. Yep. Because as soon as this all resolves, he kills Sightail. He walks out into the into the hall. And at this point, Duncan's tried to kill him. And Duncan became Duncan. Yeah. And Bajaz shows up and Bajaz is like, ta-da, we gave you Duncan back. Would you like Chani back too? He's like, if we find the right lever, I can be myself again. Chani can be herself again. And Paul literally says, Duncan, kill him. I already resisted one temptation. Yeah. I don't have the strength to resist another. Duncan, will you kill this Talaxu if I ask for it? Yes, my lord. There was suppressed rage of a berserker in Idaho's voice. Wait, Alia said, you don't know what you're rejecting. But I do know, Paul said. He's like, no, no, it's cool. This is how it has to be. So they just kill Bajaz. And that's the end of Bajaz. And then Paul is like, well, it's been real. <laughs> and he just walks out oh, into the he, desert. <laughs> he looks at Alia and he says, there are some prices an Atreides cannot pay. You know that. I know, she sighed, but I was tempted. Who was not tempted? Paul asked. Yeah. But you weren't as strong as I was. Well, he said no once already, and he was like, I don't know if I have the strength to say no again. And yeah. then I think this is hysterical because he leaves out into the desert because a blind Fremen must go to the desert. Yeah. And so he's like, peace out, motherfuckers. I'm gone. Thank you, Jesus! And he just walks off into the desert, and Alia is like, I leave him alone for one second. <laughs> and he wanders off into the desert, leaves me here to take care of his kids, and then Stilgar shows up, and Stilgar's like, yeah, he told me not to kill um, kill these people, but I kind of did it anyway. <laughs> and Alia's like... It's okay, Stilgar, I forgive you. And then, then he's like, and Irulan's really angry, and she's renounced the Bene Gesserit, and she's promised to raise his children as her own and stuff. And she's like, God damn it, Paul. <laughs> you knew exactly what was going to happen. You knew telling Stilgar not to kill those people would lead to him doing it. You knew yeah. that you leaving at this exact moment, at the height of everybody's grief, was going to spur everybody to your side so that they would take care of your children and then you completely removed yourself from the equation so that the world can fall apart without you fucking thank you yeah. god and that's more or less the end of the book and yeah. they like look pa out um, alia and duncan are kind of reminiscing a little bit uh he's like mentet solve thyself he thought <laughs> <laughs> and Atreides would not give himself up completely to destiny, not even in the full awareness of the inevitable. Uh, he, he told Duncan, there are problems in this universe for which there are no answers. Nothing can be done. Yeah. Not every problem can be solved. Not every story can have a happy ending. Yeah. And, and then Duncan and Alia are just kind of chatting about what's what's going to happen like, now, now what happens next uh and she said paul's entire life was a struggle to escape the his jihad and its deification at last he's free of it he chose this ah yes the oracle 
Idaho shook his head in wonder. Even Chani's death, his moon fell. Such a fool, Alia gasped. He'll live forever while we must die. It's just grief, she said. I must save the life of the princess Irulan, that one. You should hear her grief. She reviles <laughs> the sisterhood. You trust her? She seeks, she reeks of trustworthiness. Ah, Idaho murmured. <laughs> the defection of the princess Irulan was the last step. It left the Bene Gesserit with no remaining lever against the Atreides heirs. Yeah. So in one fell swoop. And then swoop, they just cry yeah, in, with each other. In one fell swoop, Paul completely undoes a huge chunk of his legacy, puts Alia in charge of the government as regent until his children can take over for it, and destroys every single person who was complicit in the conspiracy against him. And then he walks off into the desert like, I'm done, tapping out. It's y'all's fucking fight now. Yep. You're welcome. I did it. I did all the work. You're welcome. I did everything I could to arrange for the least worst timeline. Yeah. But I'm done. Yeah. Like, Chani was the only thing. Chani's life was the only thing keeping me here. Yeah. And now I'm th done. That's it. That's it. My kids are going to be fine. Y'all are going to figure this out. I got to go. This is such a dense book. What a fucking masterclass in how to plot a book. I think you could read this over and over and over again. And if you found a plot hole, it's probably on purpose. Right. We just talked about a movie because I was I randomly remembered this movie called The Infinite or something. And it's got um, Mark Wahlberg in it. And it's basically this, these people that keep getting reincarnated. They and, can remember their past and lives. And they can remember their past yeah. lives. And there's this one guy who wants to be out of the cycle. So he's going to destroy all life on Earth so that he can never be reborn again. And so he creates this gun where if you shoot yourself, it like absorbs your soul and then you can never be reborn again. Yeah, because the other, like, I don't know what they call themselves, the other infinites yeah. um, are trying to stop him. So, and he's, so he uses this gun to yeah. put them to the side so, so that they can't interfere. So he could shoot himself and he would never come back. But instead he decides he's going to destroy the... Anyway, the fact that you can have a story with a plot hole that's like, is right in the middle with a big neon sign and then arrows pointing at it. And then you have this book. I mean, I knew I liked Dune and I knew I liked these books, but I had not read these books as like a mature reader. Ditto. And to go back and read them now, having read some of the stuff that I've read recently, which is good. They're fine. I'm not saying that they're not fine. But this is a whole nother level of storytelling. Yes. And... I am so thankful that we're going through this together in a place where we get to sit and like dissect it together because there is so much that needs to be dissected clearly because I know you just checked the time we've been talking for two hours. So the fact that we had an entire book that establishes this huge plot arc, this huge character. We kind of, we tell a 
an instance of the hero's journey. Yeah, this epic hero's journey. And then in this relatively short little book, we completely dismantle and subvert all of that. And going back and reading Dune, you could never read Dune the same way again. It could never feel triumphant again. It would feel like a march towards disaster. Right. If you, yeah, going back and reading Dune after reading this, yeah, you can see all the foreshadowing. Yeah, and there's tons of it. And you kind of see it and you're like, okay, yeah, that's coming. But you don't realize the epic scale of what Paul is sees, of what he knows is coming and is inevitable. And then we go on to Children of Dune after this, where Paul is absent but present. The character is gone, but the effects of what he did to the world very much still affect the world. Paul is gone, question mark? We'll find out in next in the next installment of the Dune Deep Cuts, where we'll be talking about Children of Dune, because we're going to read Children of Dune, talk about Children of Dune, and then we are going to watch the miniseries, sci-fi miniseries, Children of Dune, which includes Dune Messiah and Children of Dune. Yeah, a much condensed. Well, Dune they Messiah. do one episode as Dune Messiah. And, you know, if you broke down Dune Messiah into, like, its essential parts, right? It, it's an episode. It's actually not that much plot. Right. It's just that there's so many parallel. Moving pieces. Moving if pieces. If you just cut out some of the moving pieces, you could get You can it. achieve the same outcome. Yeah. And then Children yeah. of Dune is two books, or two, two episodes. You know, it's interesting because I know Dennis Villeneuve is talking about doing, he's doing the book in two parts. He's doing Dune yep. in two parts. And then he's going to do a third movie where he does Dune Messiah. I don't know how you could stop at Dune Messiah. Because if you stop at the end of Dune Messiah, it's not a triumphant ending. It doesn't feel like a period. It feels like a comma, semicolon at best. Yeah. Where you're like, okay, now the babies are born. Alia is regent. Paul is dead. Right. End of story. Dune the first book is like part one, comma, part two, comma, part three, semicolon, Dune Messiah, semicolon, Children of Dune. Period. Period. Yeah. And then there's another sentence. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Of course, we're not going to find out now until March, which is why we've cut our pace down on the Dune releases a little bit, because they've delayed the release of the second part of yeah. Dune. And, and that's why we're considering doing the other Dune books. I think that would be, I would like to. Yeah. I think we just should. We'll just say we do. Why are we waffling? We we own the podcast. We do what we want. So we'll just do the other three books once we get done with these. But we're I can promise we'll go all the way up to those like in sequential. And we may get to the other three as time permits. Yeah. I think our, our plan, do we want to roll out the planned schedule? Of? Because we're going to do... We're going to do Children of Dune. Then we're going to do the sci-fi miniseries. Yeah. And then we're going to do Dennis Villeneuve's Dune Part One. Yes. And then I think after that will be a good time to do the other three books. Yeah, we'll get to them. Yeah, we'll get to them. So I guess we'll just leave it at that. Hopefully everybody really enjoyed our long-form discussion of Dune Messiah. If you didn't read the book, I'm sorry. That was probably all nonsense. But you should because... Right, God we didn't cover everything. fucking damn it can Frank Herbert write. I don't think I was prepared for how good of a writer he is. The way he describes things is so subtly brilliant. 
I cannot tell you how lingering the line, binding yourself in a universe you don't like with flesh that doesn't fit, is. Especially just having gone through, like, a major loss. My dad just died. And I can definitely see exactly what he means. And I'm like, wow, Frank, I didn't know anybody could put that into words in that way. And I am so thankful we read this. And I'm so looking forward to the next book. And if you have heard, oh, the rest of the series is trash, don't read it. Don't, that's, don't, don't do that. Don't listen to that noise. Don't do that. You, give it a shot. Give it a shot. Hopefully you did before you read this, because we pulled the shit out of it. But that's okay. Um, until next time, friends. Oh, you got to do your thing. Sorry. I'm sorry. I got into it. I, I was waiting for a good segue You do it you. now. This is the segue. So remember... Sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful, too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.